Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a conversation featuring fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, business, and more. My guest today is Marjorie Maas, Share Omaha's first executive director. Our conversation today has been recorded by Zoom. Support for this show comes from the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce. We don't coast. We accomplish more together. Details at omahachamber.org. Whether as a marketer, fund developer, advocate, or consultant, Marjorie has helped initiatives and organizations in the Omaha metro area and across Nebraska for nearly 20 years. Roles have included Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Nebraska's Director of Corporate Social Responsibility, Development Officer for College Possible Omaha, and Director of Nebraskans for the Arts. She is a 2010 10 Outstanding Young Omaha winner and a graduate of both Leadership Omaha, Class 32, Leadership Nebraska, Class 11, and Nonprofit Executive Institute, Class 14. Marjorie was appointed to the Serve Nebraska State Commission in 2017 now serves as the commission's chairperson, is a past president for Omaha Network, and served here in Nebraska as a board member and board secretary. She earned her BA in art history with a business emphasis from Truman State University with fundraising training from the University of Indiana. Marjorie loves cooking at her home, where she and her husband raise their son and daughter. Marjorie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Stuart. So at the time of us having this conversation, depending upon when people are listening, uh, Share Omaha just turned three years old. Yes. January 17th was our three-year birthday. There we go. Would you mind just painting the picture? What is Share Omaha? Share Omaha is a conduit between people that want to do good and the nonprofits that get that work done. So we offer multiple ways to connect. You can give a cash gift through a PayPal interface. You can shop Amazon wishlist items. You can pledge your volunteerism with a a nonprofit organization, or you can search an event calendar and figure out how to connect in real life. And so we try to make that experience as barrier-free and as easy as possible. So our major program is shareomaha.org. That's where a lot of that action happens. But we do a lot of things off the website as well. We offer programs for nonprofits to collaborate and learn from each other and learn from thought leaders in the community. And then we offer uh, calendars and content calendars regarding blog posts and things of that nature to publicize the good works that nonprofits are doing. But we also are responsible for the galvanizing action of two campaigns throughout the year that really drive a lot of activity for nonprofits. And those would be the Giving Tuesday 402 and 712 campaigns that happen the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. It's a global holiday of good. And then we have the Do Good campaign, which is this year, May 17th, 18th, and 19th. 
And that's three days focused on the functionality of what Share Omaha offers. So the first day is about cash. The second day is about wish list items. And the third day is about volunteering. And so we really want the public to realize this is a resource they can use throughout the year. But in all actuality, we realize that we have their attention on these very strategic and fun holidays of giving. And so we really work to make sure that when they come, they realize, oh, I could do this whenever I want to. And so our traffic throughout the year has been building every year. Stepping back a little bit, why was Share Omaha necessary and what are its aspirations? What was the gap or what was the opportunity? I love and hate the term one-stop shop. I love and hate it because it is. We are very much an easy button for getting community good accomplished and connecting new supporters with causes that are new to them. We're excellent at that. And we realized that nonprofits had different channels for getting their messages out and still do. But the public had no easy way to figure out how to get connected to a volunteer opportunity or a nonprofit's daily needs in a clean fashion. And that is what we saw the organizers and the board of Share Omaha saw in Charlotte, North Carolina. ShareCharlotte.org is the first share community in the network of share communities. Share Omaha is the second. We are the first scaled site. And since there's been four more brought on board, Share Detroit, Share Greater Lynchburg, Virginia, Share Middlesex, New Jersey, Share Cape Fear um, in North Carolina as well. So those communities comprise the Share network, but the aspirations of what's possible is, is only limited by development, technology prowess, and investment. Because we realize that the needs as people want to use our resource and our programming, they want even more things to make it easier for them. And so we hear ideas all the time. And so um, a fortunate thing that happened was that the intellectual property of Share that was founded in Charlotte was acquired by Share Omaha in July of 2020. And when you say aspirations, it was all built on innovative aspirations. What can we do if that technology is housed here? And what's possible um, for us to make improvements, enhancements, and make the experience even richer for those that are visiting and helping nonprofits meet their missions by garnering more support and service? We always say that our mission is to help other nonprofits fulfill their own missions by raising more support and service from the giving public. And when I say giving public, I mean those that want to contribute. And I believe that can be anybody. Um, but though we have an incredible database of nonprofits, we're, we always refer people who are in great need to our friends at the United Way at 211, things of that nature, or to nonprofits very specifically that we know address those issues. But the website in general is for those that want to impact a cause.
pretty sure I've heard you talk before about this idea of democratizing philanthropy. What does that mean to you when you say that? And, and how does that look uh, through the Share Omaha platform and programs? Thank you for asking that question, because unpacking what democratization of philanthropy is takes a, takes a little bit of a second. First off, we believe that it should be an unbiased presentation of nonprofits. Those large nonprofits, most of them have great profiles on Share Omaha, but I'm thinking about bags of fun and I'm thinking about restoring dignity and I'm thinking about the Refugee Empowerment Center and I'm thinking about the Set Me Free Project, organizations that do amazing niche-based work. And the only way you're going to find them is if it's not presented by size of organization or by Alpha Zeta, it is presented in a randomized fashion based upon the interest pieces that the public has. So if they click who it helps, and I want to talk about the who it helps piece of our website just a little bit, or the what it impacts or the causes that are listed alpha through Zeta um, related to any really impact area that you can imagine. So if you were to look up and say that you're passionate about autism and autism awareness, you click that and the eight organizations or more that address that issue are presented to you in a randomized fashion that's re-randomized four times a day. So it's presented for you to really just discover who is addressing the issue you're most passionate about. Because we all believe everybody has an itch they want to scratch in the community. Our responsibility is to serve it up in an unbiased fashion. The other responsibility we have is to make it as easy as possible. And so we really want the public to be able to come in and have the best doing good shopping experience that they can have them choose what it is they want to do. We don't assume everybody wants to give cash. We don't assume everybody wants to volunteer. We realize that nonprofits have multiple channels to get involved with them. And somebody who wants to start a relationship may want to buy an in-kind item because they want to know exactly what their money is doing for that organization. And that's very different than a campaign that's based fully on cash or a website that's based fully on volunteerism. We are here to present the cause and the impact. And then the donor, the supporter, the servant gets to choose how they're going to get involved. That is democratizing philanthropy. Looking in your eyes, I know that all I need is by my side. When everything is wrong, you make it right. The only one who brings me back to life. I've been trying to look for all of these things to hold on to. But oh, I'm finding better days with you. Hold on to me tight as we dive into the You 
talk about the word impact and I want to explore that a little bit. And so I'm wondering if you might just take us on a little bit of a journey of the last three years, and maybe we'll start with just some of the numbers about what's been happening with the organization and its success. We launched with our goal of being 150 live nonprofits. We exceeded and went live with 156. I always think about that that last six that came on board in the last day, right before we launched to the public. We had a beautiful launch. It was a blitz for advertising. We're grateful for our donors that allowed us to really announce ourselves very boldly that this is something that was going to change the face of how Omaha gets involved. And we were able to accomplish that. And we were grateful to have a spot at the Young Professional Summit in March of 2019. Happened to be March 15th of 2019, which is the day the levees broke across Southwest Iowa and across Nebraska regarding the flooding. We spent every every bit of that day that we weren't proclaiming Share Omaha behind the scenes calling the Salvation Army, calling Omaha Rapid Response, calling the different agencies that we knew were going to be tapped um, that would need volunteers, that would need in-kind items, that would need cash donations to, to bolster families. And we transformed a big piece of our website to be just about that crisis because we believed before we ever launched that when there's a crisis in Omaha, people should know one place they can go to to figure out how to impact it. So that's what we did. And our web traffic was great from the beginning of our launch. It doubled. It went up two times the amount during that really critical period around the breaking of the levees. That made me think that we were doing the right work at the right time. And then from there, um, we had our first Giving Tuesday. With At that point, we had about 250 nonprofits. It was a wonderful pre-pandemic celebration. It was so much fun. We had a, what we call the, a kickoff party, had um, nonprofits be able to tell their stories to the media in front of each other. It was just, it, it felt very, very much like a community effort to get that Giving Tuesday launched to the public. I'll tell you that before we were even a thing in 2018, our community raised about $800,000 through through online philanthropy um, with Giving Tuesday, um, an, un- an unstructured campaign. The first year that we hosted, we leveraged 1.6 million. And then we go into 2020, things rapidly change around March 15th again. We, at this point, had about 300 nonprofits on our website because more joined with Giving Tuesday. Um, we surveyed all our nonprofits and said, what's wrong? What's closed? What event got canceled? And we had this great, very rich data website for COVID-19. It was the most depressing website I've ever seen. And we started getting calls from the media and from people saying, my family's stuck at home. What can we do? What can I still do to help? I can't work. What can I do to help the community right now? And we realized we aren't there to tell the sad stories. We're there because people know the pain points. People know what's wrong. People want to know how to solve it. They're coming to us for hope and purpose. 
And so we shifted our entire message. It was like a light switch flip, Stuart. Um, and we did the share at home campaign, all about virtual volunteerism and drives and in-kind items that people could donate safely. It was a mindset shift for our team. And I think it allowed us to crest 2020 into Giving Tuesday related to what's possible. And we raised $3.16 million that year on Giving Tuesday um, through all sources, through the, through the community foundations, do, um, donor advised funds, through leveraged funds, through offline gifts, and the traffic on Share Omaha, all sources, $3.16 million. The next year, um, we had announced around the Giving Tuesday time period that along with the Omaha Community Foundation, they were ceasing the hosting of Omaha Gives, which is a beloved holiday for all nonprofits and many people in the community. It was their choice. Their strategic initiatives were going in a different direction, and they realized that online philanthropy was being handled 365 by Share Omaha. What can Share Omaha do to bring attention to nonprofits in a way that maybe looks different, but still harnesses that energy of the public? And so our answer to that was, okay, no more Omaha Gives. Let's show the public what the website can do. And so we launched the first Do Good campaign. And the, it was a Do Good Week in 2021. And it was six it was six days of celebration and every day had a different theme and it was a marathon and we're never doing six days again. Our nonprofits told us very loudly that was hard and the public, they were very much engaged every day, but we saw where the biggest analytics were. And so we've concentrated that for 2022 to be a three-day campaign. I told you earlier, we got through 2021 with pandemic and with volunteering changing the way it looks in Omaha. Um, we've had 8,000 volunteer applications go through Share Omaha's website. And that has built upon itself every year. 275,000 visitors, unique visitors to our website. I love that.
nationally, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that volunteerism peaked around the 2003-2005 period, around 28-29% of Americans volunteering. And today, nationally, that number's closer to 25%, while at the same time, the demand by nonprofits for volunteer support has risen by 25%. What I really enjoyed you describe is how Share Omaha has become this venue to tap into what you described as the energy of the public and to direct that where it wants to go to do good. With that context and the clear growth um, and that trajectory you've described, is there a story or two or a case study or an illustration that stands out to you as one that perhaps just makes your heart warm when you think about you know these these volunteers or these moments of connection between people that want to give and are nonprofits that have a need? I can think of two things that come very quickly to mind. We now have 656 nonprofits on the website. And so the richness of the search has increased, but I will tell you that the needs continue to surprise me. One thing that we saw was that it wasn't just Omaha's wanting to impact this metro area. We, we realized that there was a team that had applied to Omaha Rapid Response to muck out King Lake that came from Arkansas. And they sent 20 people here and they did thousands of hours of work to know that our SEO or whatever it is that allowed them to find that opportunity, it turned into a huge service opportunity for that for that group of youth that came here with their chaperones to really make an impact. That type of story has happened other times as well. Um, I'll also tell you about a skills-based opportunity that happened right near when we launched. Um, The Children's Museum was seeking um, carpenters to help build an exhibit. A company called SpecPro that does skylights And it was the middle of winter and their perspective was, we have carpenters, we have skilled laborers that can do this exhibit. We don't want to furlough our employees during the winter time. We'd rather give them something wonderful to do. And so they built this whole exhibit for the children's museum. That warms my heart. That's, that's, that's business realizing that their employees are worthwhile enough to keep and to keep them busy with public service. That blows my mind. And then we not only have general volunteerism on the website and skills-based volunteering, we have, we nonprofits source very broadly for committee and board service opportunities. We know that diverse and young applicants are getting connected to high levels of leadership because nonprofits say we're not just going to rely on our networks of who knows who anymore. We are going to spread our net widely and bring in people to interview for these positions that are just passionate about our cause. And so I think about my friend Lindsay that works at Core Bank, and now she's serving on the Heartland Workforce Solutions Board, and she found it all through Share. I love that, and I love that that she's this rising young professional that found something wonderful just by nonprofits saying, 
we want to know people we don't currently know. So those are three of my favorite stories. All day you climb And right back down the other side How far will you go With no guarantee you know Your father had two tours in Vietnam with the Army Corps of Engineers. Your mother was an American Red Cross donut dolly, as apparently they were called at that time. And it seems yes. that, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your family context and in your upbringing and, and how that perhaps shaped this uh, sort of passionate community leader that you are. My family, my family always valued giving back but it wasn't heavy handed. It was kind of like just built into who we are. We were very involved in our church. We were very involved. Like I did Girl Scouts growing up. I ended up building out my high school resume with a lot of community service. And I think my parents are really proud of that. Um, I ran the Red Cross blood drive at my school for two years um, we did an HIV AIDS awareness campaign and got media coverage for it at Bellevue West is where I went. And I kind of caught the bug of community organizing. I caught this bug of, I can bring awareness to something and then people react and do something good. What is that? I don't know what that means. And my dad I'll, I'll tell two, two quick things about my dad. So he was a first generation college attendee. Um, he grew up in Hawaii and did the army, army, army ROTC program and was a civil engineer and left the Island with the, with the army, with his college degree. And that has inspired me um, in past positions when I worked at college possible, um, knowing that those families were like my dad's family that helped me connect dots um, for why I was doing things. But then also my dad passed away when I was 19 years old. I, up until that point, thought I was going to be an international business. I was going to get an MBA. I was going to use my German and probably work in, probably work in Europe. I had all these dreams about what I was going to do. And then my dad passed away. And I said, I remember the day that I was at my university, I was at Truman State, and I was in the computer lab and we were all working on this, this PowerPoint project. It was like watching the rat race in front of me. These people scurrying around, just so stressed out about this, 
big project. And I was like, it can be over like that. Why in the world am I entering the rat race already? I'm a freshman in college. I don't want to do this. And so I ended up studying art history, which is I've always loved museums. I've always loved art. I cannot make it to save my life. Um, I have a sister that does, and I have four sisters, and we're all doing things that help the community. Um, I studied what I was passionate about, and I set out, Stuart, I, I remember two things about that, that were kind of trajectory related in college. That same semester that that moment of clarity happened, I joined a service sorority on campus, so not social, we were called sisters in service. And so we, we had to get service hours every semester and we did service projects for the university and had a lot of fun. And, but we were all kind of joined together because we cared about the community. And that group of women shaped a lot of who, what I cared about in college. Um, And we ended up my junior year doing an eating disorders awareness campaign that I ran. I remember that we had written the grant for the funds allotment council first grant I ever wrote and we got the funding and we hired a a keynote speaker from New York to come in and give this amazing presentation about her life. And I remember driving her from Truman to Kansas city to drop her off and pick her up. And I remember being in the car by myself afterwards. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I didn't know what this meant, but I, it was back to that high school thing of, I can bring awareness to something and people react and good things happen. I was studying art history and I said, I remember very clearly the day that I thought this, I'm going to bring an audience to the arts. And that was like my mission statement for my first, at least 10 years of my career. So I, I ended up running Nebraskans for the arts. That's the last real job I had in the arts community. But before then, I ran the art fair at Village Point Shopping Center. I helped Omaha Creative Institute, now Amplify Arts, get off the ground. I helped artists with their proposals and their publicity and Dundee Gallery and all these wonderful things. And I worked for the Omaha Symphony right before then and did promotions for Opera Omaha. I'm looking at a poster of what uh, a promotion I did back then. Um, prior to that, uh, my first job was at the Mid-America Center in Council Bluffs. I got a chance to watch community energy at a high, high level, but realized I'm making money for promoters. And that's not really the same thing as community service. And it's not really art. It's not art in a pure sense. And so that took me on that channel. But Stuart, it's always really been about those moments of clarity after my dad passed away, realizing that it can be over like this. What am I doing for others? What am I doing that matters? And so that, that, that my college years really set me in a different direction than I ever expected.
So in some ways, it may seem in the moment as if your career, the opportunities you took may have been somewhat circuitous. But looking back, perhaps it may seem as if it was inevitable that this would be a pathway to where you are today and who knows where you'll be in the future. What have you learned about leadership and what have you learned about yourself on that journey? I think leadership is as personal as the person that is the leader. As quickly as I learned with my dad passing away suddenly that it can be over in a moment, I also learned that you have to give people grace because you never know what they're going through. And being grounded kind of in those, in those perspectives, and for me, faith, I feel like you have to lead people with I do anyway, when I lead people or when I'm leading an effort, I would hope that the people that have reported to me or the people that maybe I've inspired see that I lead with grace and that I work hard. I don't, I try not to leave a stone unturned. I try to, I resourcefulness is a quality in me where I can pull dissimilar things together and make something happen because it's the right thing to do. And I feel like the leadership that I have valued in the community has been people with high levels of integrity and people that have vision and also be willing to have that vision change over time. I set out to bring an audience to the arts and I realized I'm never going to touch all those other areas that I care about in the community if I'm laser focused on the arts and, and things were pulling me. And I realized I'm not being, I'm not being dishonest to myself. My perspective has changed and that's okay. I think a leader that's able to be flexible and responsive to the stimuli that crosses their path allows them to have richer experiences Um, And so that circuitous word, yes, I look back and I feel like it's the patchwork quilt of my career, but it all makes sense now that I look back on it. I could never have led Share Omaha without those other experiences giving me this 360 perspective of the community and what's needed from the business community and what's needed from, from volunteers and what's needed from nonprofits I'm so grateful for all those experiences. It's hard to avoid the subject of COVID and the pandemic because it's it's of historical proportions. That said, it feels as if it can overwhelm every other conversation at the same time. All of that being acknowledged, I do want to ask, to what degree has the pandemic perhaps created a particular hurdle or challenge for you and or Share Omaha? So has it revealed an opportunity? Has it brought something to light that is positive and will be sustained after the pandemic hopefully is under control? I will tell you that back to that light switch moment where we realize that we are here to provide people with purpose and hope and that I'm able to do that in through technology that makes it accessible, that opened up possibility for share. And I'm not saying that things haven't been difficult and it hasn't been, it hasn't been an empathetic exercise watching nonprofits really struggle with how they're going to be effective and um, 
and intentional and relevant in this time. That's been so hard to watch. But to know that we can speak to nonprofits and say, well, what can people still do to help you? And we make that message very clear to the public. That's our role to know that our website works pre, during, and post-pandemic. And that we have a responsibility for it to be, to continue to get easier and easier and easier to use. I'm not trying to be Pollyanna. Things haven't been easy, but I've learned and have really gotten in touch with, I have to lead with a spirit of abundance as opposed to scarcity. If I am projecting that everything is hard and that there's not enough and that people aren't going to be able to help each other, then I can't lead this organization that has to have the exact opposite spirit. I have to proclaim that all our small actions coming together can make great change. I have to think about that Bobby Kennedy quote of the ripples of hope that lead to great change around us. And I have to think about how if we do act as if there's enough, almost magically there is. Though there may be struggle in getting there, if I'm not inspiring people to think about what they can do, even if it's little, then I'm not doing my job. Everything you've described about your life, your motivations, this pathway, you may be at a point that is the perfect point in your career for your purpose. But then that makes me think, well, so what's next? And not that you couldn't and shouldn't keep doing what you're doing now for, forever. Of course, why not? But it does make me think there has to be another inflection point for Marjorie, uh, just because that's how your life has been. So I, I wonder if crystal balling, you, you know, in a decade's time, two decades time, wh where do you see you taking the passion that you have to keep trying to make the biggest impacts for good you can for as many people as possible? Well, Stuart, I talked a little bit at the beginning of the call about how how we acquired the intellectual property of the software in Omaha. That was a huge opportunity, not only for Share Omaha, but for me and the board to think about what's possible next, what innovations are possible. The software is called, is called Share Good. And we realized that Share Good is not here to be a venture capital dream. It's not here to make a ton of money for investors. It's here to do social good, almost like a B Corp or a nonprofit itself, that there's a mission behind the innovation and that there's best practices and, and learnings and programs and structures and campaigns that can take place all across the country. And so the board has trusted me to move that share good work forward I'm really excited because we, we applied for our nonprofit status for ShareGood. It will be based out of Omaha because I'm, this is where I am, but it will be the hub and Share Omaha will be a spoke, just like Share Detroit, just like Share Charlotte. And Share Omaha will continue to improve its services and grow and serve the metro area really, really well. But it's going to be because Share Good offers more and more innovation. And that is where that might be the next inflection point for me is to figure out how I can 
through this system that we've created with share good scale even further and bring even more utility to these spokes that are coming off of us. And so I'm really grateful to the board of share Omaha and share good for giving me the opportunity to think about that and what it looks like from a staffing perspective and what it looks like from a team perspective is all to be determined. But I believe that there's something for me in that national network that I'm going to get to do and my investment in the local community is going to look different than it did prior. So I'm very excited. the phrase earlier, hope and purpose, and you said that the function of Share Omaha, certainly at this time too, in such difficult times, is to offer the community a portal to hope and purpose. What would you suggest to listeners as to how they might think about finding their way to hope and purpose? Okay. So I told you that I was very interested in art and art history. And a part of that, I love a good ad. And I love a good logo. And one of the first questions I asked when I came on board was, where did the Share Omaha logo come from? And the meaning behind it, it's seven colors that represent the seven pieces of the nonprofit sector. What I love about that is that it is this dynamic circle holding us together. And we talk at Share Omaha about circle moments, about when we feel like it all came together. And I believe that not everybody has to focus on the whole circle. You just focus on that one color, those two colors that really drive you. And I talked a little bit earlier about that itch that you have to scratch. It's different for every single person. And we try to make the connection to finding out how to scratch the itch as easy as possible. Because I believe once you're invested in something That's the thing you can't turn off because we're we're each wired differently to care about different things. That's where purpose and hope come. And for me, it's that 360 perspective, right? But it's also the arts and where, where am I going to invest my artistic interest? And so I look at, I look at the, who it helps and what it impacts. And I look at arts and culture and I'm going to find that organization that really trips that trigger for me. But It's different for you, Stuart. It's different for every single person. And I believe that there are, in a community the size of Omaha and communities like Omaha, there are people addressing all of those issues. And it just means that they need more help. So I believe that it can happen through service and through investing in those things that you care about, even if you don't know what that is yet. I'm a firm believer that the act of doing and giving is the uh, secret and almost paradoxical pathway to our own personal fulfillment. Mm -hmm. 
lose yourself in the service of others, right? And you asked about my growing up and there's been rough patches and especially after dad died and all those things. But my mom was like, I was really down. And I, and I really remember her saying this. She's like, go do something for somebody else, anything. Because the minute you take your eye off your own problems, that's when they become surmountable. That's when they become easier. That's when you don't feel like you're drowning in them anymore. And so that type of mantra has been something that, that, that I didn't realize was guiding me. And I think about it now more than I ever have. So, yes. Thanks for sharing that. Welcome. Support for this show comes from the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce. We don't coast, we accomplish more together. Details at omahachamber.org. My guest today has been Marjorie Maas, Chair Omaha's first Executive Director. Marjorie, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been just a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Stuart. Thank you for doing this for the community. <laughs> my cackling laugh somebody's gonna love it somewhere so oh we i love it i you know i think i'm gonna throw that laugh in just at the end of the show <laughs> it's it's it, it's quite distinctive it's the best it's so infectious and i i don't even <laughs> want to use that word <laughs> we can't even say it anymore darn it <laughs> That's the end of this week's show. You can listen again to this show and others by subscribing to the podcast at livesradioshow.com and find us on social media at livesradioshow. The music playing you in and playing you out each week was created specially for the show by Andrew Bailey. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and this is Live's radio show and podcast. Join me next week for fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, and more.